So our community goes through the Torah, the Pentateuch, on an annual cycle. And this year we're also going through the Gospels and Acts. So right now we're in the book of Acts. And this was a fantastic uh, reading, Acts chapters uh, 3 to 5. There were several great stories in there. Genevieve told one last night at our house gathering, and I will be telling you one today also. This story is about a hubby and his wife who dropped dead. So if you are the kind of person who loves action films or kind of thriller kind of movies, maybe you'll like this. You'll be like, wow, someone died in the movie, oh, that's in the story. You, that was exciting or something. I don't know. But anyway, I'll tell it to you, and uh, then I'll ask you some questions, and we can think through some, some, some things from the story together, kind of turn it over in our minds and, and have a look at it. So this story happened about 2,000 years ago. Uh, you've noticed I say that every time, because basically... Um, the writings of Yeshua's apostles, they were written down at the same time. And they all have to do with uh, Yeshua's life and then the movement that he started shortly thereafter, right? So that's why all of these stories happened about 2,000 years ago. These stories did not happen in the context of the Western world. These stories happened in the Middle East and they actually happened in the city of Jerusalem in the land of Israel. And here's the story. You remember how Yeshua of Nazareth predicted that he would be brutally crucified and that through his crucifixion and through his sufferings and his death, people could be forgiven of their sins, they could be made right with God. But he didn't leave it at that. He said, and guys, I'm also going to be raised from the dead after three days. And we'll, we'll hook up in the, Gal- in the Galil. So sure enough, just like Yeshua predicted, and just like the prophets of Israel prophesied long ago, that's what happened. Yeshua was raised from the dead. He appeared to his disciples over a period of about 40 days. And then about a week after he lifted off of planet Earth, which is the story we covered last time, they were busy praying away in the city of Jerusalem, and the day of Shavuot came which is the festival that's also called the Feast of Weeks, or Pentecost in English. And you remember what happened. They got really empowered. There was literally like fire that came down on each one of them. So like all of these men and women looked like they were burning. They were like burning men and burning women, but they weren't being consumed. And they were, they were enabled supernaturally to speak in all of these multinational languages to tell about what God did and to um, testify of who Yeshua was. So that is, where, that is where our story picks up. Uh, that, that movement just, boom, it snowballed really fast. And before too long, there were like 5,000 males alone. And then lots of women and lots of children in this community in Jerusalem. And there was actually a bit of a problem. It could have been a problem. Because when that little group of Yeshua's disciples was empowered and all of a sudden they had this influx of 3,000 new disciples in one day, a lot of those people weren't from Jerusalem. They were there on pilgrimage. So you had people that came down from the province of Galilee. They, they had people who were literally out of country. It says there were Jewish people there from pretty much every country on the planet. And all of these people were in the Jerusalem for the pilgrimage and all of a sudden they hear these guys talking about Yeshua and many of them came to believe in him. And they decided to stick around to learn about Yeshua. And so you have all of these people all of a sudden in Jerusalem with nowhere to go. What do you do? That's where things got interesting. People began opening up their houses. They began just letting people pile in. And uh, the community, they really fell in love with each other. Thousands of people, they would get together in this uh, wing of the temple called Solomon's Porch. There's this big kind of um, open area and the apostles would be there. 
um, relaying the teachings of Yeshua, telling the stories about him. And people would go there every day to learn from the apostles and they were getting together in their houses every day. They were sharing the meals together. Did you ever notice you kind of have to share your meals together when you're living with three other families in a house? It just kind of happens, eh? Logistically. So they were eating together every day and uh, it says they were, they were not only devoting themselves to learning from the apostles and eating together, uh, they were building friendships with each other, fellowship. And they were praying a lot. These are the things that they were doing. Anyway, they hit this point where there was just a logistical need for uh, resources, like food and finances. And people began to just voluntarily sell off a house. If they had some extra property, they'd sell their property. And they would actually bring the cash proceeds from the sale of their land or their houses or whatever. And they would come and they would, in this little, almost it sounds like a ritual, they would, they would put it down at the feet of Yeshua's apostles. And then Yeshua's apostles would be in charge of distributing that to the people who had need of it. And actually that became a big job right there. But anyway, that's what was happening. Like just this, just this openness and openness and, and, and sharing. Like Sesame Street would have been so proud of the early Yeshua community because these guys had sharing down pat, right? They were totally sharing and getting along with each other. Since everybody was, was of the same heart. They all just, and they all, they all were of the same mind. That was what was happening. There was this one man. He actually wasn't from Israel. He was from an island called Cyprus. And his name in Hebrew was Yosef. Or Joseph, and he was actually from the tri- tribe of Levi, and he um, he must have had some pretty strong um, connections, and he was relatively affluent because he had some property in the Jerusalem area that he uh, he went ahead and he sold, and so he brought the proceeds of that and he laid it down at the apostles' feet. The apostles actually had a nickname for him, and um, in in English, it would be the nickname would be like the encourager or Mister Encouragement. And in Aramaic, his name was, they nicknamed him Barnaba. Anyway, um, that was, there was something about him doing that. It was just a really big event, and people took notice of that. So, another couple decided to do the same thing. Their names were Hananiah. Everybody say Hananiah. And Shapira. Everybody say Shapira. Shapira. Yeah. Um, in English, people usually call them Ananias and Sapphira. That's, those are the names uh, by which they went down in infamy. But we'll get to that part of the story. So this is the, these are the two main characters in this story. Hananiah, or Ananias, and Shapira, or Sapphira. Hananiah, his name actually meant Yah is gracious. His name meant God is gracious. And Shapira meant beautiful, basically. So, Mr. Grace and Mr. Beauty is kind of what their... Mrs. Beauty is kind of what their names meant. Oh, it's a good thing she's not around listening to that in trouble saying Mr. Beauty. But anyway, so these are these two people and uh, they had a piece of property that they went ahead and they sold. And then they conspired together. They decided they were going to keep some of the proceeds from the sale for themselves and they were going to take the rest of it and lay it down at the apostles' feet which would have been fine except they decided they were going to make it look like they were giving all the money. And they talked this over, and they decided together, this is what they were going to do. So, Hananiah brought the money, and he laid it down at the feet of Yeshua's apostles. And Shimon, or Simon, looked at him, and he didn't say thank you. He didn't say congratulations. He said, Hananiah, how could Satan so fill your heart that you would lie to the Holy Spirit? The Ruach HaKodesh. Before you sold the property, didn't it belong to you? And after you sold it, didn't the cash belong to you? 
How could you conceive of this? You, you haven't lied to us. You have lied to God. And on the spot, Hananiah dropped dead. Game over. There were some younger men there, and they promptly picked him up and carried him out, and in classic Middle Eastern burial fashion, they just went and put him in a tomb right away. So three hours later, they were just getting back from burying Hananiah, and of course they didn't bury him six feet under in the dirt, like we do in the West, they buried him in a, in a cave. It's a little easier to do that, hey? So anyway, they came back, and uh, as they were coming back, Shapira walked in. And Shimon said, Shapira, was this the full price that you and Hanani received for your property? And she said, uh, yeah, uh, yes it was. And Shimon said, Shapira, how could you and Hanania conspire together to lie against the Holy Spirit? The men who buried your husband are just getting back and they're going to go and bury you too. And uh, Shapira did the same thing as Hanania. She dropped dead. Game over. And so they took her out and they buried her with her husband. Probably in the same kind of tomb thing. And when the Yeshua community in Jerusalem heard about how this couple had tried to pull a fast one on God, how they had tried to lie to the Ruach HaKodesh, and how they dropped dead on the spot, a significant awe fell over them all. They felt a real, a real fear of God. And when the people in Jerusalem heard this story, they did too. So that's, that's the story that I have for you today, about a couple of people who tried to pull a fast one on God and dropped dead as a result. And I just have a couple of questions I'll pose to you and, and uh, share with you some of my thoughts and see what some of yours may be also as we, uh, as, we, as we do that. So here's my first question for you. What do you like about this story? Is there anything that you really like or maybe there's something that really bothers you about this story? Uh, maybe you like just how everybody was getting along for once. Like I said, like Sesame, like this would have been the model, these would have been the model people for Sesame Street. Sesame Street totally would have had them on Sesame Street. Being like, wow, look at these people. They're so happy. They're getting along with each other. They're sharing their toys. These people are wonderful. What good kids, right? I grew up on Sesame Street, so I kind of remember that. But anyway, maybe you like that about this story. Um, maybe you, if you're really into action and thrillers and things, maybe you like that there was some action and a couple of people actually dropped dead in the story. Um, maybe that bothers you. Maybe it bothers you that a couple of people, they just sinned once from all that we can see, and they died for it. I mean, I have a daughter, and she has lied to me, and I have never killed her for it. In fact, I've never even contemplated killing my daughter for lying to me. Maybe you would just think, well, that's, that's drastic. That seems kind of extreme. Well, maybe that's something that would bother some people who hear this story for the first time. Uh, here's another question for you. I want to really try and get in this story together. Is there anything in this story that you can relate to? some of the experiences of some of the people in this story. As you hear this story, are you just thinking, you know what, I had an experience where I can kind of identify with that person. I think I know how they felt. Uh, maybe you've had a time in your life where you had some emergency come up or some unforeseen situation, and you kind of had to come up with an ad hoc solution. Where it's like, oh my goodness, um, we have 3,000 people in our city that just joined our community, and they're not from here. What are we going to do? And you just start kind of in an emergency scenario, just putting people up in various houses, trying to make sure everyone is fed. I think we've all had times like that in our lives. And the Jerusalem community, it sounds like they did a really good job with, with that one. Uh, maybe you can relate to the, just how good it feels to share 
You know, if you, if you have some property or some possessions or, or some finances or whatever, and you just, you, you have a friend or you have a brother or sister in the faith who have need, and you just help them out, and it feels so good. Like, even the little things sometimes, eh? Like, we actually, we have, we have, I have a buddy here in Prince Albert who's an electrician, and he moved here recently from Revelstoke, British Columbia. And his family had to stay there to wrap some things up. So he had to be separated from them for almost a month. And he and I have hung out, and I felt so bad for him. I mean, it's hard to be away from your family. And uh, he has an old beater truck that he, p- he picked up here, an old like Dodge Ram from a farm. And uh, he was going to take that out to BC. And he, was like, he asked me if, if they could borrow our van instead. I was like, totally, it's God's van. That would be fantastic if you could take our van out there to get your family instead of risking going out there with your beater truck. So, you know, we got, to, we got to lend him our van and we get to kick around in a beater truck for a couple of days. And I mean, that's just a really small thing where you get to share, but it feels good. Like, it feels good to help people, you know? So, um, actually, uh, I parked it right there. Can you guys see our, our awesome Dodge Ram truck there? It even says Saskatchewan Tough on the side. Like, it's a real Saskatchewan farm truck. So that's like, I would almost trade with him just to get to drive that thing. Never mind, uh, never mind good feelings of helping someone out. I like driving farm trucks. But, you know, maybe you can relate to that feeling. Um, maybe you can relate to the flip side of the equation. Maybe instead of feeling like Yosef, Mr. Encouragement, or like some of those other people that just love to give and love to share and help people, maybe you can relate to more to um, Hananiah and Shapira, where it's like, you know, okay, we're going to give, but I don't really want to. Frankly, this doesn't feel so good. Um, I'm, I'm, my, my background is part Scottish and part Jewish. So, like, I'm very, I'm very tight-fisted, uh, like, by nature. Right? I'm pretty cheap. I'm very cheap. And I don't, like to, uh, I don't like to spend if I don't have to. I don't like to give anything to anybody if I don't have to, uh, generally speaking. Unless I get, like, a cool truck to drive an exchange or something, right? So, I mean, I, I think I could probably relate to Hanani and Shapira in this story, where it's like, well, okay, I'll give, but not everything. 95%. 50%. See how low you can go, maybe, you know? That kind of feeling. Maybe you can relate to, um, to, to these individuals in this story. Uh, maybe, maybe you can even relate to some time in your life where you cooperated with someone in doing something wrong. I mean, we've all had times when we've done something wrong. Maybe we've lied, or we've stolen, or we've done something where we broke God's law. Um, I remember when I was a little kid, and um, I was at the grocery store and they had free cookies and instead of taking one free cookie like I was supposed to I took two I stole a free cookie and we've all probably had instances where we've done stuff like that right and when you do it just you it somehow doesn't seem as bad because you're not dragging anyone else into your crime you're not making them an accomplice to your crime but when you drag someone else in when you conspire with someone else it somehow is just worse it feels yucky inside. I don't know, maybe you can relate to that feeling. Anyway, um, that was probably a feeling that Hananiah and Shapira had. They were like partners in crime. They dragged each other into it. Um, maybe if you are a very spiritual person or just intuitive in general, you can relate to Simone where he had a moment of ESP. Could we call it that? ESP, extrasensory perception? The scriptural term, of course, would be a word of knowledge. Shimon had a word of knowledge where the Holy Spirit just spoke to him and gave him access to information that he didn't have by natural means. And he could just see, these people are holding back some of the money and they're lying. He could just see it. 
I don't know exactly how that works, but maybe some of you, if you're tight with the Holy Spirit, maybe some of you have had moments where you had that, that ESP from God. Could we call it that? Maybe you can relate to that. Um, maybe you can relate to uh, Shapira during those last three hours of her life where uh, she had a loved one that died and she just didn't know about it and then suddenly she learned that a loved one died. Um, that's not like the main point of the story, but just trying to think, get in, get in each person's experience and what they would have been thinking about. Um, I had an experience like that. I, um, I had this, this terribly sad dream one night. I just dreamt that I was looking at a picture of one of my uh, older relatives, and I just dreamt in the picture that all of a sudden he just like went down a chute straight out of the picture, just into darkness, and I just felt this this horrifying loss, and I just. I, I was just bawling and bawling in my dream. And I mean, I, I'm not the kind of person to bawl much in general, much less in my sleep. But I was just crying in my dream. And I woke up in the morning and we got a phone call that my, uh, my Scottish great-uncle, who was a Freemason, had died that, that, that night. And so maybe that would be an example um, where I can relate to something from the story where a loved one dies and you're not aware of it. Who is to say... Um, and maybe you can also just relate to that feeling of awe that the early Yeshua community had. Just hearing about that God was right there, that God was active in their midst, that God was watching people when no one else was around, that God was listening in on conversations, and that he was taking them pretty seriously. Maybe, maybe you've just had... Uh, have any of you ever felt that? Like when you're just in his presence, and it's just riveting. Like you just feel like wide, awake, alert, and you feel like the, like the fear of him, but in a really healthy sense. Maybe you can relate to that feeling uh, that, that early, the early Yeshua community had in Jerusalem. I have uh, two more questions for us from the story. Um, what does this story tell us about people? Uh, this story is about human beings, and human beings, contrary to what evolution would suggest, have not changed in the last 2,000 years. We're pretty much the same. So you read about the, some of the, the behaviors of people in this book, and you pretty much can compare that to the news and say, yeah, wow, history really does repeat itself. So, you know, we can, we can learn some things about ourselves and about the world around us from the story. Uh, something we see in the story, that people have a capacity for incredible generosity, uh, the ability to really share with each other and care for each other. And uh, people also have the capacity to be really stingy, really frugal, to, to hold back for whatever reasons. It's like we can either become incredibly selfless people or incredibly selfish People. And it seems like everyone on the planet falls somewhere in that spectrum between selflessness and selfishness, in, including me. Uh, something else we can see in this story is that it's possible for people to do good things, but with bad motives. It's possible to do a good thing, but with a bad heart. <laughs> and that's kind of scary, especially if you're someone who, uh, who takes doing good seriously. It's scary that it's possible for us as human beings to do a good thing but to not have our hearts in the right place. What, what you, there's something God said about that. He said, it's possible for us to worship with, with our mouths and say all the right stuff, but our hearts are a million miles away from Him. Eh? So that's something we see in this story. Hanani and Shapira, they definitely uh, had that going. It's also possible for us as human beings to want to get as much credit as we can for things, even more than we really deserve. That's some, something we see in the story. Like, Hanani and Shapiro were like, you know, we could really work this to our advantage. We could make it look like we give the full price and we could get a lot of credit, and then we could also keep some back for ourselves. Like, win-win, right? So sometimes it's possible for us as human beings to kind of be hungry for credit. 
Um, we also see something that's kind of scary in this story, and that's quite simply that we as human beings, we, we have the ability to be like total bare-faced liars. Like straight face, just be like, yeah, that's, that's what I did. Yep, that's exactly what happened. And it's totally not what we did, or not what happened, eh? And uh, we totally see that in this story, that like every human being on this planet descended from Adam and Eve with like the old heart that God hasn't saved. We are a mess. We will lie. We will tell barefaced lies to everyone around us and to God himself. And we'll think we can get away with it. Like, that is every human being on this planet, unless Yeshua steps in and changes us and kind of grounds us in the truth, hey? So, you, can you hear the gospel in this story? You know, the gospel starts with, you are a mess. But that's not where it finishes. God sent his son to change you and to, so that he could die in your place, so your sins could be forgiven, so that he could take out that old lying heart of yours, those lying tendencies, and give you a new solid heart that'll tell the truth and be honest. That's the gospel that we can, uh, we can derive from the story. Um, something else that's very frightening in the story is that believers can have their hearts filled by Satan. Did you hear that? Shimon said, Hananya, how could Satan so fill your heart that you would lie to the Holy Spirit himself? Like, really? That's scary. Like, so, you know, it doesn't matter if you go to church or you go to synagogue. It doesn't matter if you read the Bible. It doesn't matter how much Torah you can do. Satan can still fill your heart. Just because you're doing good things, just because you have a title, whether it's Christian or Messianic or whatever, just because everybody thinks you're doing great, it's still possible to get off track. It's still possible to open up inside without anyone even noticing it to the forces of darkness in this world. It's still possible to be demonically influenced for like those tempting spirits to just go and plant that little idea in the mind. And maybe before you know it, it just begins to ruminate and you begin to think about it and you get a little friendly with it. And before you know it, it's like sin conceived and you had a big sin baby and it's going to kill you. It's kind of the, uh, that's something that we see in the story. It's possible for us as believers to be demonically influenced. And that's, that's a real warning. I don't know if you noticed, but this isn't the happiest story, hey? Like it kind of starts happy. Everybody's getting along and sharing. But then there's this like boom and all of a sudden you see the, you see the bad side come out in people, eh? Two people drop dead. I mean, ouch. So I know this is, a pretty, this is a pretty serious talk, but hopefully we'll just find that to be a sobering thing where we say, yeah, God, I'm Ananias. I'm Sapphira. That's what I will do apart from your grace. I will be satanically influenced if you don't keep me, Father. If you don't help me to keep myself for you. So it's a kind of alarming. We also see in the story that even like in a, in a really good community of people that are getting along and are just doing fantastic, it's possible to have some bad apples in the barrel, eh? I mean, Yeshua had his inner circle. He handpicked these guys. One of them still sold out, eh? One of them still betrayed him with a kiss. So you kind of see that all over the place. So just get used to this, that fact. Uh, quite often, believers, they, um, maybe they just be, okay, someone just becomes a believer and uh, they become part of a church or a faith community and they just have this, beautiful honeymoon time where everyone just gets along and they're so in love and then someone says something nasty or someone just wrongs the person or there's someone who's just the religious jerk in that church or a congregation 
And those people get really wounded. And very often people like that walk away from God, they walk away from their fellowship, and they never come back. And something this story tells us is, you know, just as a reality check, get used to the fact that human beings are human beings. We are all recovering sinners, and there will be people in your fellowship that will hurt you, that will do things that are wrong. The question is, how are we going to respond to that? What are we going to do with that when it happens? Are we going to lose it? Are we going to freak out? Are we going to get jaded or disillusioned? I I hope not. That's something we see in the story. All of us have Judases and Ananias and Sapphira types in our lives. It's a fact of life. So I really don't like that fact, to be honest. I've wrestled with that. Sometimes it really bothers me. So I'm kind of talking to myself on that one. Then finally, the last question uh, we can uh, think about from the story is just uh, what does this story tell us about God? Is that if it wasn't for God, this story wouldn't have happened. Uh, there's some things that happen in the story that could only happen if there is a, a creator who is involved, very really involved, in the lives of his people. Uh, one thing this story tells us is that God sees stuff. And God hears stuff that nobody else sees and hears. Like, I'm really thankful that he's not like... He's not like some people, you know, have this, they have this image of God that God is always watching over their shoulders and waiting for them to do something wrong so he can whack them. That kind of idea, that's not God. I, I think the reason God is watching us is because he really loves you and loves me. I think God watches us because he loves us. Like, I don't know, it's, it's been neat being an Abba and maybe getting a closer feel for how the Father feels about me. Like, I love watching tears. I'll just sit there and watch her for an hour. Like, when you have little kids, I don't think you need TV because little kids are so engaging. I just sit there and watch tears and she's so cool. Like, I, I delight in her, right? And I really believe that that is why God is so involved in our lives. I really believe that's why he's watching everybody on the planet because he likes everybody on the planet. He's listening in on every conversation because he loves people. Yeah, he made us. So that's something that we see in the story. Um, something else, and this is a little alarming in the story, is that just like we can be tried, God can be tried. I don't know, have you ever had that with someone where someone maybe just didn't have the same social graces that most people have or they were just, I don't know, they just, were, had, they were just had an area of their life that was a mess and they were just kind of pushing stuff with you and it was trying you. And you could just feel yourself getting pushed a little closer to the edge every conversation or something like that, hey? That happens with God too. It's possible for us as people to test Him and to like try His his Holy Spirit in our midst. That's something that this story tells us. Uh, another beautiful thing that we see in this story is that even in the midst of judgment, God wants to show mercy. Did you notice that? So they took, they took Hananiah out, they buried the guy, Shapira walked in, and Shimon wasn't like, drop dad. He gave her like the biggest chance he could have given her. He said, Shapira, was this the full price that you received for this property? Like, that's a big, big, big chance right there, right? She could have been like, oh, ah, and she could, have, she could have turned around right there. And instead she's like, yes, that was the full price. Bare-faced lie, right? It's like God gave her one more chance. And then that was it, and he pulled the plug. So that's something beautiful that we see in the story, that God does give chances to everyone on planet Earth. He's so merciful. He doesn't want to judge people. He doesn't want to see people punished. He never wants to see someone die. What do you say in the book of Ezekiel? He said, I don't delight in the death of the wicked. That was, that was like my, uh, that, was, that was a verse I posted on Facebook when they supposedly uh, killed Osama bin Laden. It's like, because everyone was like, yes, you know, this is such a fantastic moment. A bad guy died. And God says, no, I, I don't delight in the death of the wicked. 
I don't want it. I don't want anyone to die. So anyway, that's something we see in the story. Judgment is not plan A for our father. But we do see that at the same time he does have limits to his patience, his tolerance, his kindness. It's possible for someone to just push it and push it and push it until they push right through and there's just no more left. And I don't know what that limit is, which is kind of scary actually. But that's something we see in this story. Um, I have a theory that in this situation there were such drastic measures taken because his presence was so intensely in the midst of his people. Did you notice that? When the people of Israel were in Egypt, they were sinning. They were probably sinning a lot. And nobody was dropping dead as a result. They get out in the wilderness and they continue to sin a lot and suddenly it's like the game plan changes. People start dying. Tens of thousands of people because they're sinning. Why? Because somehow or other, even though the Creator is everywhere, there's also times when he's more in specific places with specific bunches of people. And so that could have been a reason that these two people drop dead on the spot, whereas that usually doesn't happen when people lie to God, because God was there so intensely. And, and, you, and you can hear that too. When Shimon's talking, you, you know, he, he, ta- he says like, how could you test the Holy Spirit? How could you lie to God? You didn't lie to us. It's like Shimon was very conscious that God was right there in the room and that Hanani and Shapira were talking to him, that the Holy Spirit was right there in their midst, the Holy Spirit. And that lying to him, that's an affront to his holiness. Maybe similar to, maybe similar to when Moses, he sinned one time and because it was public, because it dishonored God's name, there, were, uh, there, were, there, was, there was a more severe, uh, severe judgment that he, uh, he experienced as a result. It's something that we, uh, we see in the story. We, uh, like God doesn't, he doesn't take kindly to being messed with. <laughs> yeah. Um, we see in the story that God wasn't just just for, let's say, a specific dispensation or age or a covenantal era or something. Well, something we see in the story is that God has always been just and God will always be just. And God will always give people a chance if He can. He will always show mercy if He can. That's, that's how I would understand it. But He is also just. So even in the New Covenant, I don't know, d- does that kind of shock you? Like, people will often say, yes, you know, in the, uh, in the Old Testament or back in the age of law, uh, God, God, you know, He seemed to get mad a lot. And He would judge people. And I just read, and there are people dropping dead all over the place in there. And then, and then the, the age of grace came, or the church age, or this dispensation. These are terms often that people will use. I don't personally believe in dispensationalism and all that. But this is often how people will talk. And they'll say, and now it's, and now it's the age of grace, the church age, and God doesn't judge people anymore. God's just kind of like a really big, happy teddy bear slash um, vending machine. Slash Santa Claus. All rolled up in one, like your dream come true. And, and, and I mean, I, I have friends and their pastors have told them stuff like that. And I just think like, ding dong, don't you read the scriptures? God killed Ananias and Sapphira for sinning in the new covenant era. There's, there's no reason to believe that Ananias and Sapphira weren't saved. There's no reason to believe that they did not have genuine saving faith, that they were not immersed in Yeshua's name, that they were not members of his community and God still killed them for sinning. Oh, for some people, that's, that's hard to accept. But it's there. 
And I mean, scroll forward a little bit. You read the book of Revelation. There are a lot of people in the book of Revelation who drop dead for sinning too, eh? So you see that, that we have one God, just like the Shema says, and he has always been the same, and he will always be the same. Whether it be at Mount Sinai, whether it be in Jerusalem, or whether it be at Yeshua's return, when he comes back and liquidates every single one of his enemies. He's always the same. And I'm just really thankful that he gives us an opportunity to be on his good side. I like being on his good side. I want to stay on his good side. Um, There are a couple other instances in the apostolic scriptures, in addition to this passage, and in addition to the book of Revelation, where people were like, struck by God. Um, Do you remember that showdown between Saul and Elymas? Where he was, Elymas was struck blind. Never says he regained his sight. God just struck him blind. He took away his sight. Ouch. Now, Elymas wasn't a believer, but that's still interesting. Um, In Paul's first letter to the Yeshua community in Corinth, he also said something interesting. Um, He was talking about the Passover Seder, where we have the bread that symbolizes Yeshua's body, and we have the cup that symbolizes his blood. Um, you know, the original context of that was a Seder. Some people would say maybe that was, they did that also at other times of the year. I don't know. That's not the main point of the story. The main point is, whenever it was they did this, Paul said, some of you are doing this in an unworthy manner. Like, you're not examining yourselves. You're not, like, evaluating and judging yourselves to make sure you're right with God. And as a result, quite a few of you are sick. And some of you have died. Did you get that? In the Yeshua community in Corinth, there were people that had sin in their lives and at the same time, they were saying, yes, I believe in Yeshua's sacrificial death. Yes, I accept his atonement. Yes, I'm in a new covenant through his shed blood and I have forgiveness of sins. They were saying these things and they were participating in those rituals, but at the same time, they weren't dealing with their stuff. They were still harboring sin. And as a result, some of them were physically sick. Some of them had literally died. That's the justice of God. So this isn't just an isolated incident with Ananias and Sapphira, hey? So on a, on a, on a practical level, um, maybe we can just be asking the Father, you know, like, like Father, thank you, for, thank you for your kindness and your love and your patience. Is there anything in my life where I could be more honest with you? Is there any, any area of my life where I could come closer to you, where I could leave things behind? You know, and, and not coming to the Father out of fear, if possible, but coming, coming to Him in response to his love and his mercy. So what does it say? It's, it's the kindness of God that, that leads us to repentance. So, so that's, that's the story. Uh, those are some questions that I could throw your way and some thoughts that I've had and maybe some thoughts that you've had also from the story. Uh, the last thing I have for you to ask you is just, is there anyone that you could tell the story to this week? Because the Word of God, it was designed to be contagious. It's made to go viral. Right? And often, I'm not sure if you've noticed this, but it's kind of hard to just line up some verses and share them with a friend who maybe isn't a believer. But it's a lot easier to tell a story. And I mean, this is kind of a scary story. Maybe this story would bother some people, but it is the Word of God. And it is a story about who He is and about things that He has done. So let me just throw that your way. Is there someone in your life, maybe a family member, a co-worker, um, a neighbor, I don't know, somebody... You, 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 you figure it out that you could tell this story to him. I, I would challenge you. See if you can tell this story to someone this week, this story about the early Yeshua community and how they were just selling their stuff, sharing with each other about the couple that tried to kind of get 
as much credit as they could and also help and drop dead as a result for lying to God, eh? So, I'm just thinking right now about who I could tell this story to. Yeah. I, I, I'd like to pray for a moment and then we can have some discussion. Uh, yeah, Abba Father in Heaven, thank you so much that we can gather in Yeshua's name in this park. And thank you that we're not just gathering in, in name only. Thank you that your beloved Son, our Rabbi who called us to follow Him, is in our midst. Thank you so much, Yeshua, for joining us today. We love you. It's an honor to, to, uh, to, um, to worship you today and to have you direct our hearts to the Father and reveal the Father to us. Thank you for that. And uh, Abba... Thank you so much for your mercy and your patience and your kindness and your grace. Thank you for how you give us chance after chance after chance. Wow, you are, you are so tolerant, Abba, and we, we love you for it. We, we find our hearts responding to your love with, with love back to you, Father. And I, I pray, Father, for us that you, would, that you would show us if there are areas where we could be more honest with you, we could be more upfront with you, where, and where we could be more consistent uh, in our faith in you and how we, how we live with our faith. I, I, I pray, Father, that you would turn our hearts to you. And I pray that for the city too, Father. There are people in the city who are religious hypocrites. There are people in the city who are running from you. There are people in the city who are lying to you and lying to themselves and lying to others. And I'm sorry for that, Father. And I pray for your mercy for Prince Albert. I pray that you would give us another chance, Father. I pray that you would grant us repentance in the city and turn us to you. I pray that your spirit of truth would sweep the city, Father. That you would sweep the lies away and replace them with truth. Father, where there is darkness and there are people hiding in the darkness, I pray that you'd go after those people. Come after all of us and get us for yourself. Shine your light in the dark places. We pray, Yeshua, you are the light of the world. Be the light of Prince Albert also. Please, Father, draw the people in the city to yourself. And thank you for it, Father. Thank you so much for it. We, we, we just really love um, telling your stories and looking at you and learning more about you and learning how we can follow Yeshua, Father. Thank you for these things in his name. Amen. Shalom, I'm Izzy Avraham, and thank you for joining me for this talk. I delivered these messages live during the years I was leading a congregation. They're now hosted by my Hebrew school, Holy Language Institute, at holylanguage.com. If you're interested in the talks I've done since then, or if you'd just like to say thank you for these teachings, become a member at holylanguage.com.